Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons. Awfully excited about today's show. I'm Bill Arnold. We're going to have a great, great show today and tomorrow. I'm excited for the whole week. It's just going to be great. I hope you've got your Bible open and a notebook handy because we've got lots and lots of stuff uh, to coming at you this week. And it's always good to be growing in the Word and getting closer in your walk with the Lord, of course. And we're going to have uh, Rob Bluey join me in just a minute. I'm looking forward to him. And then Pastor Brian uh, Chappelle is going to be joining me in the first hour. Second hour, we've got Dr. Eric Bargerhoff. I'm just a big fan of Eric. He's written a, a book called The Most Misused Verses in the Bible and The Most Misused Stories in the Bible. He's a great, uh, a great guest. And then uh, Tiger McClune's going to be joining me. So it's just going to be fun. And I'm looking at a verse in Isaiah 26. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. Let's take 60 seconds and bring on Rob Louie. I'm Carmen LaBurge. Coming up soon is our Faith Radio Fall Fundraiser. We call it Fall Share. And in my family, every member of the family has responsibilities, things that each member of the family does in order that the entire family can function properly. You are a part of the Faith Radio listening family. You are a part of the family. There is something about what you engage with, either during my program or in one of the other hours of relevant Bible preaching or family-focused teaching that you access here on the Faith Radio Network. There's something about that that is contributing to your walk of faith. It's connecting your faith with life every single day. And so we're doing our part, and we want you as a member of the Faith Radio family to have the opportunity to do your part. And that's why we invite you to participate in Fall Share. Now, you can get involved right now at 877-933-2484. You can join our support team. You can always give online at MyFaithRadio.com. And we look forward to Fall Share in just a couple of weeks. Of course, that is the walk-up music for Rob Bluey, executive editor of the Daily Signal. As he walks up to the plate, he can hit any fastball I will throw. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. It's great to be back with you. Likewise, as summer winds down and uh, students are now headed back to school, this is a good question to ask you in particular because you were a conservative guy that went to a pretty liberal uh, university and kids uh, with conservative values are, are heading back to school, which is predominantly uh, left. So where do they where do they turn for help? Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Uh, it is uh, increasingly becoming that way, Bill. I, I feel like I uh, was probably in college at a time when things weren't nearly as bad. Although it seems that over the past couple of generations, uh, it, it certainly gets worse and worse. Uh, you see professors now who are who are losing their jobs over uh, disagreements that stem from political issues or cultural issues. And so even those tenured faculty who seem, uh, you know, to be in a position where they are free and should be free to speak their minds and, and have whole different views, uh, you know, those are now not politically correct either. Uh, so what does it mean for students? Well, it means students probably are not getting the perspective and the diverse perspectives of opinions 
uh, that they really should be getting when they go to, to a college campus. And I think that's unfortunate. There are organizations out there, and we talked to one this week at the Daily Signal called the Intercollegiate Studies Institute, which is uh, a network of student organizations on college campuses and also professors uh, who serve as mentors and sponsors of these groups. Uh, and they really want to introduce conservative thought uh, onto these college campuses and in some places that might be quite hostile to it. But uh, but there are students, after all, there who, who want to have a diversity of opinions and not necessarily go along with the uh, the majority view. Isn't that what makes America free and prosperous and wonderful is all the, the different viewpoints that we share? It, it certainly does. And you would think that in a place like a college campus, that's the that's the ideal setting to celebrate uh, such a, a principle as the one you just outlined. Uh, no, you're absolutely correct. Uh, the students today really would benefit from having an opportunity to not only study our history and the di- various you know, ideological perspectives. I, I remember when I was uh, taking a class, in a, a politics class, it was called Ideas and Ideologies, and you went through everything from communism, you know, to fascism and everything in between. And it was really helpful to get a perspective uh, on those. And of course, I still walked away as a conservative. Maybe some people were, were, you know, wowed by some of the things they heard about socialism. But I think that what you have today is you have a distortion of what uh, those things are. Socialism is celebrated. You see this uh, reflected in polls of young people where they're more likely to embrace uh, socialist views uh, than previous generations. And then you see other perspectives uh, really demonized. Uh, and, and conservatism, libertarianism, uh, certain, certainly seems to, to be one. And people who hold those views are held in such low regard uh, that they're often personally attacked. And I think that that's, that's unfortunate. Uh, it really stifles debate when you should be encouraging it. Rob, it's a, it's a lot of pressure for kids to show up on a college campus their freshman year and feel like they're at risk of getting crushed immediately if they share a perspective that isn't um, left or liberal or going with the flow of the campus. Well, and especially since a lot of people might not be developing their political views or really forming their, you know, uh, ideological perspective until the time they arrive on campus. So those first impressions do make a big difference. And if you're intimidated right out of the gate uh, and you don't feel that your your views are welcome, I think that, uh, you know, again, it's not that welcoming kind of uh, encouraging environment in which somebody can actually have an opportunity to explore different perspectives. And that's what I think is unfortunate. Uh, I know that when I first set foot on campus, I, I don't think I had fully formed my political perspective. I think I, I came in with a conservative mindset. Uh, but, you know, of course, over those next four years, it was an opportunity to challenge some of that, that thought. I feel like as a conservative on a liberal campus, I came out uh, more prepared than perhaps a conservative on a conservative campus because I was constantly finding myself in a position to debate or discuss, uh, you know, issues that, that would come up. Yeah, no, Rob, a lot of students today are, of course, getting their information from the Internet, and there's lots of um, anti-conservative bias going on online in social media. There is, and I had a chance to talk to the former senator, John Kyle of Arizona, last week. Uh, Senator Kyle and his firm, Covington & Burling, were hired by Facebook to investigate complaints from conservatives about uh, bias and suppression of content from major 
players, uh, in this case Facebook, uh, but we've heard it across the board, Google, Twitter, you name it. Uh, I think all companies at one point or another have been accused of, of doing wrong by, by conservatives. Uh, of course, conservatives aren't alone. Uh, liberals uh, have, have made their own complaints, but it seems that conservatives tend to be a little bit more vocal. And Bill, you and I had a chance to talk about President Trump's social media summit. Again, this was a big topic of conversation there. But what Senator Kyle came out with was a report that lists uh, the types of bias that conservatives feel that they're experiencing with Facebook and uh, and why conservatives have lost trust in Facebook. And I think it's a real concern uh, on the part of many conservatives that they don't feel that they have a platform where they can engage in this kind of debate. Not too dissimilar from what we've been talking about with college campuses. They felt that this was a forum in which they could uh, express their ideas. And when those ideas don't necessarily align with the liberal views that come out of Silicon Valley or, or the community standards that, uh, that these companies have, have supported, uh, they're you know, shut down and silenced. Mm-hmm. What did you uh, learn from Senator Kyle in your interview with him that was kind of felt like new information? Sure. Well, we were we were first of all grateful that he he chose the Daily Signal as the place to have the conversation. It was his first and only interview. Uh, he's not somebody who's really looking for a whole lot of attention, but I right. think he was frustrated with some of the the national news coverage that came out, uh, particularly the criticism he he heard from conservatives. Uh, about him and what uh, what his uh, firm had done. Uh, I think that they're looking for solutions, and Senator Kyle basically gave them a, a, a list, an inventory of the problems. Um, and so it's really up to Facebook to come forward with the solutions as a private company. And so what did I learn? Well, first of all, I learned uh, that uh, the, the concerns are quite widespread. I mean, the people that he interviewed included every everyone from conservative media personalities to politicians to organizations like ours at the Heritage Foundation. And the complaints that they they gave uh, Senator Kyle included everything from uh, limiting the distribution of content. So, you know, the algorithm changes that uh, we often hear about uh, were were a problem that consistently came up. The the policies. uh, So Facebook has community standards that uh, are sometimes highly subjective and seem to discriminate against conservative content. Uh, The enforcement of those content policies uh, advertising policies that restricted some organizations or individuals from being able to advertise their causes. This was a particular concern to pro-life groups, and I'll come back to that in a moment. And then, uh, you know, things, um, you know, in terms of how Facebook is constructed. So, you know, they, uh, you know, are obviously based in a very liberal area of the country. Their leadership is predominantly liberal. Uh, they might not necessarily be exposing themselves to different views and perspectives, and then they themselves are living in a bubble. Um, Bill, I wanted to come back to the ad policies because one of the changes that Facebook did make uh, at the request of some pro-life organizations was the ability uh, to post uh, content uh, that, that would depict you know, uh, young babies, uh, newborns, uh, who are, are hooked up to breathing tubes and other, uh, other medical um, apparatus, uh, which Facebook was restricting uh, for some reason. And so Facebook made a change, and now if a pro-life group wants to advertise and use images like that, they will be able to do so without being in violation of Facebook's policy. So it's an example of how you know, the, using public pressure and citizen engagement can uh, in, enforce some changes, and I'm sure there's going to be more to come. This was an interim report, so we shall see where Senator Kyle goes next. Yeah, really interesting. Rob Louis, my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal, dailysignal.com. It's where to go find him. We'll take a short break and be right back.
Welcome back to the show. My guest is Rob Bowie. It's always a chance to talk to him on Tuesdays. Makes me very happy. Executive editor of the Daily Signal. A great article at the Daily Signal about uh, the alarming um, journalists now being worried about uh, Trump and his allies digging up their old tweets. A little bit of a um, of a um, a threat to their their uh, independent journalism. Well, that's the way they see it, and of course, uh, of, of course, these these are the same journalists who have no problem digging up uh, politicians' old tweets and uh, and holding them accountable for things that they may have said, or or in some cases even uh, athletes. I mean, you, you've seen this recently where somebody's drafted in the NFL, and then within moments of their their name being flashed on the board, uh, you know, a, a tweet that they maybe sent in high school or something right. that's embarrassing. Um, Kyle Kasha, the uh, the student uh, who was at Parkland, uh, Marjorie Stillman Douglas High School, uh, of course, became outspoken um, uh, conservative, uh, was with uh, Turning Point USA. Uh, he uh, was accepted at Harvard, uh, so a very smart uh, student. And when Harvard found out as a result of journalists digging up his old tweets, uh, his admission was rescinded. So, I mean, it, we've seen this happen across the board with people saying things that they come to regret. Uh, frankly, I think that, uh, you know, this is why when I talk to my colleagues here and give them advice about social media, I say, look, you don't have an editor. Uh, you, there's no filter. You are yourself the one that's serving as the publisher. And so think twice before you hit publish. And that's advice I'd give any parent or, or, or student out there, because those things um, do have they, they do live on an eternity, even if you delete them. I mean, there's somebody who's probably in a copy at some point. Right. So be thoughtful and uh, and just be careful. And those journalists who are now finding it come back to to haunt them. Well, you know, frankly, I um, whether you know whether it's a, a politician doing it or somebody else, I I, I just think again, uh, if you said it, uh, you know, it, it's your own words, and and doesn't the public at some point have the right to know about what you said uh, in the past. And uh, if you want to apologize for it, uh, I do believe in forgiveness. And uh, I think that sometimes people have taken drastic action uh, when somebody said something maybe 20 years ago. Uh, but we see this all the time. Look, Bill, we're seeing this right now with the college writings of a circuit court nominee who has come under fire from journalists and the left. Uh, he's going to have his hearing in early September, and uh, he's a Second Circuit nominee, and things he wrote for the Dartmouth Review when he was in college are now being scrutinized, and uh, wow. you know, some people want him to withdraw. So I, I, don't, I don't, you know, journalists sometimes want to have a double standard, and this is one case where I don't think that they necessarily should. Mm, wow. So this was interesting. Friday, uh, at the death of billionaire David Koch, uh, there, several on the left sort of celebrated that news, uh, and then to Bernie Sanders' credit, he nipped it in the bud and said, no, 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 we're not going to go there. Uh, but certainly there have been people on the left celebrating his death. There there have, and I think that, uh, you know, this is uh, another sad state that our, our country finds itself in, where somebody who, at a time when you should be, if if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, but you know, remembering somebody who made significant philanthropic contributions to the arts, to cancer research, uh, to causes that uh, I, I think – regardless of your political views, you would probably support. Um, David Koch was a libertarian, which meant that, uh, you know, he, in many cases, probably favored things, uh, you know, rights for, for gay men and women, and uh, maybe even some cases of, you know, uh, abortion rights. Uh, as we know, libertarians and conservatives disagree on that. And yet that wasn't enough uh, because he had supported organizations on the right. Liberals reacted very hostily, and uh, including one uh, – 
uh, Bette Midler had a profane attack against our president at the Heritage Foundation in a, in a tweet that she put out remembering David Koch, uh, which is not appropriate to repeat on air. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Maher uh, had another uh, profane attack. And, Bill, I think that um, you know it's important for those who are in prominent roles, whether you're in Hollywood or the media or in politics, to set a positive example for the next generation of Americans. And I think it's appropriate to call them out when they, they don't do that. And I was, quite frankly, disappointed by their behavior. And I appreciate uh, even those uh, who are on the left um, stepping up and, and pointing out it's not right uh, to behave that way. Mm-hmm. So, Rob, uh, another great story at the Daily Signal about uh, President Trump um, on the rescinding the $4 billion in foreign aid. Um, maybe you would comment on that. Yeah. So here, here we thought uh, you and I have talked about spending. Yes. And we know that this president talks a good game on spending. He's uh, said that he wants to constrain spending uh, because he knows that we're facing, you know, significant deficits. We're now looking at trillion-dollar deficits. Uh, the the national debt is over twenty-two trillion dollars. Uh, I mean, here we had a relatively minuscule rescissions package of about four billion dollars in foreign aid. And even that uh, stirred up enough controversy on Capitol Hill and was and was some in the Trump administration that uh, basically it didn't even make it out the door. Uh, the idea was was floated, put out there, and within a matter of days uh, it was abandoned. And I think that this just goes to show that everyone has you know a pet interest or a project in Washington where they don't want to see the money cut. And it's going to be very difficult for us to get back on a fiscally sustainable track if this is the the approach that we take. If we can't even rescind money uh, that the president uh, doesn't feel is an appropriate use of the federal government's spending, then uh, what does it mean for tackling bigger items like Social Security and and Medicare, uh, which are really driving this crisis uh, that we face with spending? Mm -hmm. There's been a little bit of pushback on uh, Alyssa Milano's abortion um, uh, agenda. And there's been something kind of interesting where uh, dads and and are prompting to share kids' photos and say, hey, these are my great joys. It's been kind of an interesting little Facebook campaign, hasn't it? Right. So Alyssa Milano, of course, uh, for your listeners who might not might not know or remember, it came out and, and said she was proud of uh, of her abortions. Right. And uh, it's just so sad that, uh, that, that people... Um, you know, want to celebrate uh, the taking of a, of a human life. And it, it gives me, you know, uh, great heartache uh, to think about that because, you know, many women struggle with, with this decision and, and live with that regret. And I think Alyssa Milano here is is doing something that uh, is, is quite unfortunate. But, um, you know, she's exercising her rights to free speech and doing it. But it doesn't mean that other individuals can't push back. Uh, and this is what you're seeing. Uh, people celebrating their children and, and the great joys that they bring in life. And, and look at the congressman from Wisconsin, Sean Duffy, who uh, he and his wife, Rachel Campos Duffy, are having their ninth child. And mm-hmm. uh, he's decided to resign from Congress because the baby will have uh, a heart condition. And he felt that it was more appropriate uh, to devote time to his family and his newborn child when when that baby arrives in October. Uh, and he's going to step away from public service. And I think that that's the kind of role model and, and family-first attitude that we need to get back to in this country and uh, and, and not, certainly, uh, celebrating abortion. Mm-hmm. Rob, there was a survey recently that said Americans think that the ideal age for a president of the United States would be 48 years old. 
Well, it goes against the, you know, look, we've had uh, we, we, <laughs> a number of candidates running for office right now. <laughs> well, let's face it, there are 20 still some on the Democratic right. side, and they range in age from 30s all the way up to 70s. Uh, but it seems that the front runners are all in their 70s or approaching a, an age well above 48. So who knows? You know, sometimes I think Americans appreciate that youthful spirit they get in, in a president. Uh, but when it comes to actually uh, casting a vote, maybe there are other priorities that are higher on the list than a person's age. I don't know, Bill. Uh, it's going to be interesting, though, but we're, we're approaching the next debate. It looks like we have 10 Democratic candidates who so far qualified. So right now it's one stage. It'll be on September 12th. And I think it's going to be a real interesting debate, uh, given some new polling that shows that the race is tightening. And it'll be interesting to watch uh, when those candidates actually appear on the same stage, how they interact with one another. And then what about uh, the Joe, uh, Joe Walsh, the radio host wanting to primary uh, Donald Trump. Yeah, well, he's not the only one. Uh, William Weld is another mm-hmm. candidate who's uh, declared that he he's planning to do so. Uh, look, I, you know, in 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 some cases, uh, it, it uh, does a detrimental harm to the candidate. I mean, I think you saw that in 1992 with George H.W. Bush when Pat Buchanan uh, challenged him uh, in the Republican primary. You saw it in 1980 when. Ted Kennedy challenged Jimmy Carter, and in both of those cases, the incumbents ended up losing uh, because they had a strong uh, challenge. So uh, who knows where it's going to go? What we do know from the polls is President Trump enjoys significant approval of the Republican Party. I think it's over 90 percent. So it will be certainly an uphill climb for for whoever jumps in, but but it'll be interesting to watch nonetheless. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm in the process of ordering my buttons, which is Rob Bluey for president in 2024. So um, just something for you to think about. <laughs> well, I'll probably have some competition there. <laughs> yeah. But but I'm I'm content uh, I'm content uh, to do other things. All right. Besides, uh, enter the public arena. But I appreciate the All endorsement. Right. I just think you're the best, Rob. Thank you so much for doing the show. Thanks, Bill. Have yep. a great day. Rob Blue has been my guest, executive editor of the Daily Signal. Go to DailySignal.com. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Faith Radio Network, your home for relevant Bible preaching, family-focused teaching, and interactive talk shows and topics relating to your everyday life. We exist to lead people to Christ and to nurture believers in their faith through Christ-centered media. We hope that you've been encouraged as you've listened and that you've found helpful resources through interviews, articles on our website, and more. To learn more, visit MyFaithRadio.com. That's MyFaithRadio.com. Here are two words I love together. Unlimited grace. Unlimited grace. That is the author uh, title of a book that Brian Chappelle wrote. He's going to be my next guest coming up. Cannot wait. Be back in just a minute.
rising of the sun to the going down of the same. You are my God, and all I want to do is praise your name. I praise Welcome your back to the show. Brian Chappell is my guest on our studio line, and from what I can tell, there is very little about him I don't like. He is the host of a daily half-hour radio Bible teaching program called Unlimited Grace and founder and chairman of Unlimited Grace Media. He's the uh, previously served as president of the Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, and he's author of a number of books, including Holiness by Grace. Brian, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Glad to be with you. I'm I, trying to think of something. I There's probably lots of me that you shouldn't <laughs> like, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to identify those for you. You know, isn't it just best to have a few things you just keep to yourself, huh? There you go. The Lord knows. The Lord knows. Yeah. So thank you for doing the show. I'm a big fan. As I, as I think I told you last time you came on, I was a big fan, and I'm still a big fan. Well, you're kind. Thank you. Yeah. And unlimited grace, those are two words I love side by side. I can't get enough of grace, and we all need to be aware of how important it is to be receiving grace, and there is a, a nonstop supply of it. <laughs> well, that that is the gospel. It's not what we do, what God provides. So yeah. our faith in His provision, rather than our faith in what we gain, and then suddenly what that does, it just it frees us up from performance to gratitude, and in gratitude we rejoice in what God has done, and in an amazing way, the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. Yeah, let's talk a bit about sanctification. You know, because I think grace is it's such an integral part of. Our, our lives as we're living it out. And you, you talk about the idea of mental determination versus heart change. Uh, what matters more when it comes to sanctification? Well, the Bible says out of the heart are the issues of life. And we can tease a little bit. You know, it's like the, whatever it is, the four-year-old who's, you know, being required to sit in his car seat and hates the idea and finally says to mom, you know, I'm I may be sitting down on the inside, but I'm standing up on the outside. <laughs> no, it's opposite. I'm sitting down on the right. outside, standing up on the inside. And uh, you, you kind of say, well, uh, you got behavior change, but you didn't exactly get the heart. And, of course, the Lord is after our heart. And when, when we, by our heart, have changed affections, changed desires, the reality is we do those things that please God that, in their essence, please us too. Mm-hmm. So when, when Jesus said, John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, you can hear that a couple of ways. You could hear Jesus kind of shaking his finger at you saying, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Or you can just take it as, as just absolute cause and effect. If you love me, you'll do what I command. You'll, you'll want to walk with me. And that's, that's the beauty of the Christian life, is what the primary command is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, because if we love Christ, we'll want to walk with Him, please Him. That will actually be our own heart's desire, and our obedience will have conformed to our desires. Brian, in your study of God's Word, have you spent much time trying to analyze tone that doesn't exist? I mean, that, you what, mean, what you just said was a great illustration of, of tone. You know, how did Jesus say that? Yes, and so much is going to be determined by the context as well as the actual words on the page, right? Mm-hmm. So you would have to say, well, the God who came to die for us, is he really saying, if you love me, you'll keep my commands as scolding us all the time? Or is he not by his very life saying, I'm providing for you. Don't you want to walk the path that I've put you on? 
I've you've heard me tell before, Bill. I mean the the account of one of my early meetings with my wife. I was I was preaching. I was a single man preaching at a little bitty country church while I was a student in seminary. <laughs> and uh, after after one of those services, and by the way, I feel like I still have to go back and apologize to those people for those early sermons. I, oh, I'm course. so sorry, folks. <laughs> and and after one service, one of my elders said, "Would you like to go on a picnic with my family?" So I'm single, and food is being offered. Can you guess what I said? Uh, I yes. Said, I said, you bet. Uh-huh. And and we we drove on this beautiful fall day where the sky was blue and the sun was shining and the leaves were all scarlet and gold and up to this little restored Victorian village, had a, had a picnic lunch. And at the end of the picnic lunch, the 20-something-year-old daughter of the elder said to me, would you like to take a walk with me? Now, the sky was blue, the sun was shining, (laughs) she had blonde hair, green eyes, red sweater. She says, would you like to take a walk with me? What do you think I said? You better have said said yes, Brian, (laughs) or this this interview was over. I said, said, you bet. And and I've been walking with her for over 40 years now, by the way, and and she's beautiful. Why wouldn't I want to walk with her? Mm -hmm. And when Jesus is showing us his nature, long prophesied by the prophets, lived in obedience to his Father, sacrificially giving himself for us. And he says, now, will you walk with me? Our hearts will be saying, if your grace is so great, if your love is so overwhelming, if that's who you are, then I want to walk with you. And that joy of the Lord becomes our strength as our desires now are to walk with the one who so loves us. His grace is, as you were alluding to, is the the chemistry in our hearts that's that's overwhelming the math of our minds. The, the math of the mind says, well, why don't I just sin now because he'll forgive me later. And against that kind of evil math that was going to take advantage of the grace of God is the love we have for Christ, in which the heart says, if he loves me so much, I want to love him back, and I want to love that what and whom he loves. Mm-hmm. And so obedience becomes my joy rather than my drudgery and my duty alone as the reasons that I'm serving God. Yeah. So, Brian, let's, if, if, we, if we're trying to do works, and we want to do works, but it's not going to really give us favor with God or forgiveness, do they matter? Uh, they matter because they bring glory to the one that we love. Okay. So, uh, you know, if, if I uh, truly want to appreciate my spouse and show her that— then I then I want to know her to know I I love her and I want to bring her glory and affection and and have her radiant before her family and so the things that I do to please and and honor her are not oh I've got to do this because I'm married you know that's not the reason it's because it's the delight of my heart to serve and adore and bring glory to the one who has shown love to me and who I want to express love to as well. So if if what we think we are doing by our works is buying God's affection, we don't realize the shortcomings of our works, right? Our best works mm-hmm. are only filthy rags to right. God. Or if you really want to scare people, you know, quote quote Jesus' words in Luke 17:10. Jesus says, "When we've done all that we should do, we are still unworthy servants." And you go, "Wait, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean? I did all I should do." And Jesus is saying, well, actually, it's not what you do that gets you a seat at the Father's table. What gets you a seat at the Father's table is his mercy toward you, not your purchasing or bribing his kindness toward you. 
And when you know that, you're saying, you mean he invites me to his table, and it's not because of what I've done? Well, then you want to sit at that table, and you want to delight in the one who has been so merciful to you. And so grace, far from becoming an excuse to sin, which is how many people interpret it, well, if it's all grace, why not just sin? Grace is that compulsion of our hearts. It's what the Apostle Paul said, right? He said, it's the love of God that compels me in this ministry to others that was sometimes so painful. You know, I've been shipwrecked. I've been whipped. I've been in deserts. I've been starving. I've been before bands. Why do you do all that, Paul? Well, the love of God compels me. I want to live for the one who has loved me so. And uh, that that change of affections is actually where the power of gospel living is, not just in I'll do the things I hate. No, we're actually loving the one who loved us first, and in that love, delighting, even in our own sacrifice, delighting to do that which honors, pleases, and serves him. You know, Brian, I think you had mentioned just about two minutes ago about a bribe for blessings. I think that's literally a line in your book. Our our obedience is a prayer of thanksgiving, not a bribe for blessings. Uh, why, Why is this... Uh, concept so important to the Christian life? Well, thank you, Bill. I mean, it's just it's just an important question because of how many of us think we will either gain or stay in God's favor. You know, well, what do I have to do so God will be nice to me? Okay, I'll get up earlier and I'll pray longer and I'll, I'll do this awful thing. I'll read this Bible or I'll go to church and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make the ogre in the sky happy with me mm. by paying him off. I'll bribe him to be nice to me. Instead of recognizing what the Lord of the universe says is, listen, I have given my word to you, my, my good and safe path. I've told you what will make life the absolute best it can be while you're here and for eternity. And, and, I, and I give you that word. And you can talk to me. I'll listen. So, so pray to me, and, and I'll listen. And by the way, I'll conform all things together for good in your life through your prayers. And I'll let you influence others, and others influence you for my plan and purposes in your life. So why don't you gather with God's people? And when we begin to perceive that what God is doing is not saying, do all these things so you can bribe the ogre in the sky, but here is the bread of life to you. You can feast on God's Word. You can just relish the goodness of being able to commune with your Savior, and you can actually fellowship with other people who will teach you more about Him and be helped by you. That suddenly, all these aspects of what we call the means of grace, prayer, reading God's Word, fellowship with other believers, rather than just kind of being drudgery and duty and bribing God to be nice to us, suddenly become this this feast on the goodness of God that we get to partake of day after day after day because they are blessing us, not bribing God. And Brian, God's commands will allow us to just live lives of tremendous joy and peace, won't they? They will. And now we have to define joy and peace God's way, not the earth's way. Yeah, let's do that. That's a good, yeah. that's a good point. <laughs> so, you know, if you say, what, what, what is joy and peace? Well, Absolute joy is living for the one that I love above all things. Um, that's my greatest delight is in serving the interest of the one that I love the most. Now, that may involve earthly sacrifice. I mean, we don't want to get in the position of saying, you know, if, as long as you give God enough bribes, you, you know, you, you put enough hurt nickels into the vending machine in the sky, and he'll give you whatever you want. 
And you guys, no, that's actually not what God promised. Jesus said, in, in this life, you will face trouble. And if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. But in this world right now, and Bill, it's even hard to think, you know, there are, there are Christians praising God as they are being tortured. And you say, well, how could that possibly be? Because what they are perceiving is that their lives and their words and their testimony are bringing glory to the one they love more than life itself. And as hard as they're not, they're not, they're not happy about that situation, but they are aware that God is using them for purposes beyond their own for the one that they love the most. And what has caused them to love him is what the Bible says, we love him because he first loved us. His grace toward us, deeply perceived, rightly grasped, is actually the cause and the reason and the strength for the Christian life. So the joy and the peace that we experience is is ultimately experiencing that I am being used of God to bring my Savior glory and to bring his message and his life to other people. I mean, Jesus said, my bread is to do the will of him who sent me. You know, what, what actually gives me nourishment, what fills my body with strength and energy is doing what my Father in heaven wants. And when we're able to say, my life is being used for the good of my Savior, and that's actually what I want more than anything else, then we get what we want even when we may be denied what the earth says is the cause of joy and happiness. When we know we're being used for God's purposes, that is our greatest joy. And so we're actually doing what we rejoice in the most. Famous sermon of an old time, great title here, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And uh, that's Thomas Chalmers. And he said, when our hearts are filled with affection for God, then it replaces, displaces the affections for the things of the world. And so by serving God, we actually get what we want the most. But what we want the most is not the world. What we want the most is God, him, his glory, his goodness. And that joy and peace is ours as we love God among, above all things. Yeah, those are powerful words, Brian. Let me take a little break. Brian Chappell's my guest. He's author of Unlimited Grace. We'll take a short break and be right back. to the show. Pastor Brian Chappell is my guest. He's senior pastor of Grace Presbyterian Church in Peoria, Illinois. And he has authored many books. The one we're chatting about today is called Unlimited Grace. And uh, Brian, there's no surprise that sin divides our hearts. And it's not that we don't love Christ, but we love other stuff, don't we? <laughs> That's right. So, so often Christ is reminding us that he has to be our first love if we're really going to be the people that he desires us to be, how, how sad it is for us at times in pastoral situations to face somebody who's in an awful circumstance as a consequence of their sin, and they'll say, well, I love Jesus. I, I, I really do. I love Jesus. And that's, that's really true. That is really true. But they don't love Jesus, first of all. And as a consequence, Jesus is kind of the backup. Jesus is the one to rescue me from mm-hmm. the sin that I loved first. And that's why uh, the Bible talks about we depart from our first love when we enter a path that is damaging to us and to others. So when we love Christ above all, 
then we have above all the blessings, the life of sweetness and of heart, the sweetness of mind that uh, that peace of mind, sweetness of heart that he intends, and that that comes when he's first in our affections, not when we love him, but not first. You know, other affections take priority over him. So that that that's really what gives us peace and safety. I think, Bill, I've I've said to you before that you know when when uh, when our family was forming, we um, we have children who we call our big kids, our older kids, and then we had one that came along an awful lot later, <laughs> and uh, we call that our Mac baby. Don't, do you know what a Mac baby is? No, I don't. That, that, that that's middle age crazy. And so we. <laughs> So, so we we had our Mac baby. Okay. And and you know as as she was getting into her high school years, I would say to my wife at times, you know, man, this girl is so active. I have trouble keeping up. I'm just getting old, and she is so active. And and my wife, my wise and gentle wife, would say, she said, you know, the way we poured ourselves into the big kids, we got to keep pouring into this kid too. And and for me, because my job, you know, this has always involved a lot of travel. Uh, what I would do to keep pouring into this child is uh, whatever time her high school activities would start, I would get up earlier, and I would fix her breakfast. And it was just cereal, but I called it breakfast. And and uh, even as I was fi- filling up her, her cereal bowl with milk, I would think to myself, what is, what is my job as the, the father of this teenage Christian girl? And I would think even as I was filling up her cereal bowl with milk, my, my job is to fill up her heart with love for Christ. And you and I know the reasons at, at 18 why there are trials and there are temptations ahead. But if her heart is full of love for Christ, she cannot be more safe or more strong. And that's not just true of my child. That is true of every child of God. And the reason the scriptures are so consistent in saying how persistent and great is the love of God for us is God knowing that when our hearts respond in love for him, because he first loved us, when our hearts are full of love for him, we cannot be more safe or more strong in our spiritual walk with him. And so grace, it's so counterintuitive. We think, well, grace will just mean there's no obligation. There's no responsibility. I can do whatever I want. But the reality is, when your heart is full of love for Christ because of his great grace for you, you actually are strong in your love for him and safe in your walk with him. It's love for Christ generated by the grace of God in Christ that actually creates the strongest and best of Christian walks. Mm. Brian, I know the, the love and its power is probably the only thing that can really motivate somebody to, to, to make a, a real change. So say more about that. Well, we, we always want to, uh, you know, in pastoral situations as Christian leaders, recognize there are practical things that we want to tell people to do. You know, if, if they're in addictive issues, if they're in sin issues, we, we'll say things like develop accountability, uh, find those people that, that will give you counsel and encouragement, stay away from temptation, Keep a journal. Uh, be aware of those things that will help you from getting into that situation. But as powerful as all those practical answers are and important as they are, we recognize they are ultimately not going to change someone's life if their heart commitment has not changed. 
and we know what is going to change their heart, what ultimately is going to change their heart to want to utilize the gifts that God has given us, the graces and the strength that he has given us, is that our, our want to changes. And what changes our want to, what changes our affection, says the Apostle Paul, is the love of God for us. And so it's that gospel message, he knew your weakness. While you were still his enemy, Christ died for you. He has provided for you in an everlasting way, even, even knowing all about your weakness and sin. And you're saying, really? Does he really love me that much and that persistently and that greatly and that long, even, even to come and die for me? When you say yes, the answer is yes. He died for you because he loved you that much. Then you have to say, well, then, then I'm going to love him, and I'm not sure where this road is going to go, but I'm, I'm going to walk with him. I mean, why is it that, that Jesus, when he says, what's the, when he's answering the question, what is the greatest commandment? He doesn't say, well, is it stealing or is it adultery or honoring your parents? What is the greatest commandment? He says, it's love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment's like unto that, love your neighbors yourself. And you recognize what Jesus just said was, love of God is what gets your heart compelled to do everything else that he requires, which includes the way you love other people with Christ-like love as well, sacrificially and with forgiveness and with zeal that is beyond their deserving. All of the law and ethics ultimately form from a heart that loves God. And what really causes us to love him is to recognize how great is his love toward us. So, you know, it's, it, I feel like it sounds sappy at times, Bill. Honestly, you know, oh, it's just a preacher talking about love more. You know, mm-hmm. and say, well, <laughs> listen, I, I don't mean to be sappy or sentimental, but I mean to be real. There is no more powerful human motivation than love. Greed is not more powerful. Fear is not more powerful. Intimidation is not more powerful. What drives the mother back into the burning building? It is love. Mm-hmm. And, and what will ultimately drive us with our heart's affections toward the purposes and plan and path of God is love for him because he first loved us. Yeah. Here's a question you know, that pops up from our listeners with some regularity, and that is, you know, what if you're concerned about losing God's love? Maybe you're just not being a good enough Christian. <laughs> well, it might be good just to read the Old Testament and recognize how many times God said, you walked away from me, but I'm not going to walk away from you. Amen. As the people of God over and over again you know, are, are rescued and live, live well for a while and then turn to idols or to sin or whatever, and God says, I kept stretching out my arm to you. I have reached out toward you. You turn, and yet... You are mine, and I will claim you. I, I don't know you know, so much in the Christian news right now is the story of Josh Harris, who wrote the book I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and, and then we've learned recently left his wife and has said he no longer holds to the faith anymore. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you read to his kind of public pronouncement, the public letter from some of his friends, who said, as hard as that news is, the the message to Josh that we would always maintain is no matter how many steps you take away from Jesus, you take just one step toward him and you're back with him. Right. And, and that's the beautiful message of the gospel, that it, his provision toward us is what causes us to turn around. You know, Paul says the kindness of God leads to repentance. 
when I turn from my sin and turn to my Savior, it will be because ultimately I recognize how great is his love, his provision, his grace toward me. There is nothing more powerful. It's the magnet of the gospel that's turning our hearts before it turns our behavior. God is not saying, you straighten up and then I'll love you. He is saying, I loved you with an everlasting love. Now come back to me. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the, it's the, the prodigal son coming back to his father, right? My, my, even my father's hired men are better than the sin life I'm living. So it goes back to his father. But Jesus tells the story while he was still a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to him and threw his arms around him. And to say, this is Jesus saying how God the Father is dealing with us while we're still a long way off, when we're still stinking of our sin. The Heavenly Father's running toward us and throwing his arms around us and saying, this is my child. And they had a feast and celebrated. He was lost and found. He was dead, but he's alive again, and he's in my arms. And that's to represent the love of God for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, amazing thought that yeah. Jesus would tell that story about his own heavenly Father. No kidding. Brian, I'm going to stand by my opening statement, which was, there's very little about you I don't like. <laughs> well, hopefully that's the Lord's <laughs> doing, just trying to reflect the goodness of his gospel. Thanks for doing the show. Thank you, Bill. Thanks. Pastor Brian Chapel has been my guest, and his book is called Unlimited Grace. Thank you to Brian. We're going to take a little break, and we'll be back with Hour 2 in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.